man, I'm just excited uh, that you guys are here this morning. Thankful for all those that got here early and put salt out on the sidewalks, scraped the parking lots. Like, man, I'm just um, very thankful for you guys. Like, you guys are just, um, just amazing. I love being a part of this church. Uh, if you were here last week, um, I took time uh, just to explain what a healthy church is. And uh, I, I used um, some material called Nine Marks Ministries. And, um, and I used the Nine Marks, um, just what is a healthy church. I just use it as a framework of, of what we think we should be. So here are the Nine Marks that we looked at last week. Um, expositional preaching, biblical theology, the gospel, a biblical understanding of conversion, a biblical understanding of evangelism, a biblical understanding of church membership, uh, biblical church discipline. Uh, we, we didn't really talk much about that because we're walking through the book of Matthew right now. And uh, we're, when we pick back up in Matthew, we'll be in Matthew 17. Matthew 18 talks a lot about church discipline, so we just skip that knowing that we'll come back to it. Um, a concern for discipleship and growth, and then biblical church leadership is where we ended last week. And uh, if you remember, I mentioned that nine marks will draw a line between number three, um, the first three, and then the rest, the first three, they would call essential. Like, you've got to get these things right, these first three, um, because the other, um, the other five come out of it, the other six come out of uh, um, those first three, and so you got to get those first three right. Um, and I made a little bit of argument in my closing last week that biblical leadership, uh, it, I understand that, he, so he calls the first three essential, he calls the other six important, um, and I argued that church leadership could probably even fit into one of the essentials, because if you don't have someone who's uh, a, a biblically qualified leader, they might not carry out and lead those first three. Um, and so this morning, we're just going to walk through a passage on what is biblical church leadership. We need to make sure we have this right, um, because we are a congregational rule church. It's an elder-led church, but a congregational rule. So that means the authority, the ultimate authority is out there, not up here, okay? And so what that means is you guys will be the ones that will um, identify future church leaders. So if you guys don't understand that responsibility, um, and if you don't understand the importance of finding a biblical church leader to fill these positions, then um, there's a good chance when you walk out this building, there's a good chance we'll end up like that building across from us. Um, if you walk out this building... Um, across the street, there is a what probably a lot of people would call a church building. It's just a building. This is actually a church building because the church is in here this morning. That building's empty today. Sunday morning, but that there's no one in there gathering. It's a building, and at some some point along the line, they got these things mixed up. And I promise you, on God's word, if we mix up these um, and we don't guard these and care for these. We will be no different than the many other hundreds of churches that close their door. Um, and so we need to understand, um, as a congregation, the importance of this. So if you have a Bible this morning, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. So 1 Timothy is a letter written to Timothy, okay? 
Uh, it's his first letter that Paul was writing to Timothy. Timothy is this young pastor, uh, and Paul's, Paul is keeping him in Ephesus. Ephesus is a large city. Um, Paul, in the book of Acts, we see that the church gets started there in Ephesus. It's a very wicked place. Um, the key center of the city of, of Ephesus is this uh, temple. It's this temple of Artemis. It's still one of the um, ancient wonders, wonders of the world today, um, the temple of Artemis. And so that was like the central part of religion um, for the city of Ephesus. And so a lot of people who worshipped at that temple converted and saw just huge revival. And so now they're establishing a congregation. And in 1 Timothy, Paul's instructing uh, Timothy to, to do some things. And um, in chapter 3, we actually see the purpose of why he's writing this, this first letter to Timothy. And so in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, um, we see this in verse 14 and 15. Paul writes, I hope to come to you soon. So the I here is, uh, is Paul, the you is Timothy. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. All right, so this is why he's writing this. He's saying, hey, like, I want to come, I'm going to help you when I get there, but just in case I delay, I mean, Paul is one who gets captured a lot. He's, he gets beaten, imprisoned. So there's a good chance he could delay. He's saying, if I get delayed, you need to have some kind of diagram, some kind of picture of what the church should look like. And, uh, and so he gives him this letter. And there's a lot wrapped up in this. And so uh, a pillar or a buttress is what holds up a wall or a building. And he's saying these, you know, the church is going to hold up the truth. In that culture in Ephesus, you're going to need somebody standing up for truth. And, uh, and, and he's saying this church is never going to be able to stand up for truth if it goes off this way on, on, these, on these different areas. You've got to stay focused and these are the things you need to guard. And one of the things that he lists right before this, we'll actually end this morning with this scripture, but if you back up to verse um, 1 of chapter 3 is where we'll start this morning. So let me pray for our time in God's word this morning. Uh, Father, I am uh, convinced that those who, um, who need to hear this message are here this morning. Uh, I'm thankful that... Um, That it'd be so easy to, to cancel church today and stay home. But I knew there'd be so many people that just wanted to open up their Bibles today and hear from you. Oh, Lord, and I think that's just a sign of a healthy church as well. Um, Lord, I'm sure you're just pleased with um, just the sound of pages turning. Um, whether it's from their Bible or from the notebook where they're taking notes. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that, that we would not just be uh, 
engaged mentally. Lord, I pray that we would be engaged emotionally, that we would be moved, that there'd be um, not just head knowledge right now, but that we'd be in, in awe, that our affections would grow for you as we read this passage on church leadership, a passage that doesn't sound very exciting and for most people who don't fit into these two um, offices, um, might just skip over. But I pray this morning that uh, we would be just moved with affection for you, that we would just have a deeper love for you. Um, just how much you love us, how much you care for us by leaving us with these two positions. So God, I pray that you would... Um, that you would heal our, our blindness, that we'd be able to see how you're at work this morning. I pray that you would give us ears to hear from you. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so this morning as we walk through this, um, this, this would be what I talked about last week. This would fit more in the expositional preaching. So it's a topic, biblical leadership, but I'm going to expose it. I'm going to expose this passage of what I hope is Paul's point. I think his point here is what we started with 14 and 15. Um, but I think in this section, it's this idea that biblical leadership is, is necessary um, for a healthy church. Uh, it's necessary for God's uh, glory to be um, on display. And, and, and so that's... That's what I, I, I think is showing here from, uh, from Paul's letter. So now, let's walk through this together. So verse 1 says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. All right, let's stop. Let's, let's pick apart some words here. You see, aspire. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer... This is what makes this position really unique, uh, this overseer, uh, that it's someone that aspires. So th uh, the way an overseer becomes an overseer is, first, they have this internal desire, and it's like this internal calling where you feel like God's calling you to be an overseer or an elder, a pastor. Um, and so there's this internal calling. Um, but then there's also this external calling. You don't want it to just be internal calling because then it ends up looking like, um, well, a, a good example. It's not just internal calling. It's also external calling. Shows like, um, like all those judging shows like American Idol um, and all the other 15 that are just like it, uh, the, they all understand this internal and external calling. Um, if you look at 1 Timothy 4, so just maybe just look a, over the next page maybe, uh, it says this, Do not neglect the gift you have, which, and this is talking to Timothy, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So here's this external calling. It's not enough just to say, I feel called to be a pastor. Uh, there's this other, this external calling where, these other elders come alongside of you and go, yes, you, you have uh, the qualifications. We're affirming this in you. Um, 
So like American Idol, it's not enough for you to say, I'm a good singer. You've got some judges out there that go, uh, no, you're really not. And, and then that's when they're like, but Grandma told me that I'm a really good singer. I know what Grandma told you, um, but you shouldn't be. And I think sometimes that can happen in ministry, that sometimes mommies and grandmas just put their kids and go, I want you to be a pastor one day. I would make our family proud. And maybe that's not what they're called to do. Um, there's this external calling. Thankfully, we have this guideline of what this calling should look like. But here there's this, there's this, um, uh, this idea that you aspire for this position. So let's look back at verse 1. It says, the, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, uh, he desires a noble task. So here's this idea that this person aspires. Um, so we're very hesitant to just come to you and say, hey, I think you're, you're an elder. I think you should be. We're, we're kind of waiting to see if there's something stirring inside you. Um, if you have that aspiration. If you feel like God's calling you to that internal calling and we want to come alongside you and confirm that. And then you see that they're aspiring to this office of overseer. An overseer, you think of just that word. You, and so as we walk through this passage, your Bible probably says like qualifications for overseers right above verse 1. Uh, I'd also, I would, I would maybe put a slash there and you're going to see some responsibilities mixed in. It's not just qualifications, there's also responsibilities here. An overseer is partly a responsibility. This is a calling to where the overseer oversees. And so this is one who, who oversees or leads the church. That's what an overseer does. Um, and so an overseer is, is a leader, a spiritual leader of the church. I mentioned earlier that this church is congregational rule, but elder-led. And so in a minute, I'm going to show you how elder and overseer, pastor, shepherd, those are interchangeable terms. Um, and an overseer leads that the church puts that person in that position to lead. Um, and, and so elders are servant leaders, um, but ultimate authority lies within the congregation. Uh, and you'll see that really in Matthew 18, see that in 1 Corinthians 5. Some of those chapters we'll get to when we get to church discipline. It's not ultimate authority, it does not rest up here with me or the other elders. Um, and so an overseer is, is one who oversees, who gives oversight to the congregation. Here's a good chart that I think is really helpful for me. Um, so you have elders at the top, and you see on the right side that there's, the bottom is you. Now understand that I'm also a you, okay? And so individuals are there on the right. So elders give oversight to you. You um, obey Hebrews 13. You submit to your elders. So that's where the obedience comes in. So there's oversight and obedience. Um, Hebrews 13 says, let them do this with obedience so that the elders are basically, you know, uh, moaning and complaining. Let them do this with joy. Um, and then, so then also on the other side of that triangle, you see congregation, which also I fit in. So that's collectively. So an elder 
equips and shepherds the congregation. So that's part of what I'm doing this morning is I'm, I'm equipping you. Um, and then also the congregation is recognizing and supporting the elders. We're coming, so as a congregation, you're coming alongside supporting us. We're not doing all the work of ministry, right? I didn't go out there this morning and shovel off sidewalks. We had some trusty trustees that went out there and shoveled, some just faithful volunteers that got here this morning. Uh, we've got children's workers. I, I don't do all the ministry here. So that's why I'm an elder, but you don't hear me call myself like this position a minister because that can be confusing. Why? Because when I look out, I see ministers all around me. You guys are all ministers. You're all practicing in some way some kind of ministry. And then from you and congregation, there's accountability, there's love and encouragement. Uh, this helps me understand what I'm talking about this morning. So as an overseer, I'm, I'm overseeing, so let's go back to verse 1. You just see that, that he desires this, the, this uh, position. If he does, he desires a noble task. Um, notice here that it says an office of overseer, singular. And then... Um, Also, I've used words like elder and, and, and pastor. So let's first look at this. Why, why do we have, if you have your bulletin, if you look on there, uh, maybe on the back, it, it has like list of elders um, or an inside cover. An inside cover will say elders. This is strange for a lot of, it, it, we're, we are a Baptist church, and that's strange for a lot of Baptist churches to, that we have elders. Why do you have elders? Why isn't there just like an elder and then you have like some staff? Well, um, we just read from uh, 1 Timothy 4. Let's go back to it. 1 Timothy 4. It says, uh, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders, plural, laid their hands on you. So here's this idea that there's elders, there's this council. Um, and so that's what you have here at this church. We have a council of elders. So me, Joe... And Bruce, and you see Steve on there as well. Steve is an elder at First Baptist Canova. Uh, we're still partnering with, with Canova, and so he's still um, an elder with us, alongside of us. Um, it is not wise for one man just to be in this role. Uh, I need other, uh, I, I need help, I need wisdom from other godly men, and so there's times where uh, we have to make really hard decisions. And, and praise the Lord that most of those decisions you don't have to know about, um, um, whether it's, you know, about discipline issue or how someone's living. Um, we don't have to stand up on a Sunday morning and talk about that. Those are things that we do, and we pray for you guys. Um, we pray for those prayer requests you put in the box from the prayer cards in front of you. Uh, we gather each month and pray over the, every member of this church. Um, and um, I need these men. Um, so you see here from 1 Timothy 4, there's this idea of council of elders. If you flip over to the next chapter, 1 Timothy 5, you see here there's distinctions between the elders. It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Then look at this, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. That phrase there, especially those, makes distinction. So it's saying you're going to have elders, 
There's going to be some that are going to be more focused on preaching and teaching. And so most Sundays you see me teaching. Um, but it, it, you could come in one morning, it could be Bruce teaching or Joe. Um, but mainly it's me. And, and so you see that, that the elders have different roles. Um, but it's not like that my vote counts more because I'm the teaching elder. Uh, we all, the three of us, um, we, we all make decisions together. It's not that I go in and say, hey, I'm the, I'm the main guy. You guys listen to what I say. It's not how it goes. There's mutual submission between the council of elders. Um, 1 Peter 5 is where you'll see the different terms. So the word overseer in, in, in English there, the Greek word is episkopos. Can you think of a denomination that that would sound like? Episcopalian, that's right. And so that's where they get their term. Um, sometimes your, your version, your scripture may have bishop there. Sometimes that word overseer may be translated as bishop. Um, and then the word elder that we've talked about, and in 1 Peter 5, you're going to see this, 1 Peter 5, it says, so I exhort the elders, the word elder there is presbyteros, does that sound like another denomination? Presbyterian, right? So Presbyterians, traditionally, you hear that being called an elder, right? They have elders, and that... Um, that passage that I read from 1 Timothy 5 about let the elders rule well, um, Presbyterians, they'll even divide their elders up to have like uh, ruling elders, and then they'll just have like a lay elder um, or a teaching elder, staff elder. Um, but I, I, don't, I do not think that passage is teaching that we have ruling elders. So we have elders that lead, but not elders that rule. The congregation rules. Um, and so here in 1 Peter 5, we're also introduced to this word shepherd, um, and that's um, poimeno in Greek. And, and sometimes poimeno uh, is translated pastor. And, and if you're using an ESV, if you're using a, a, a newer edition of the ESV, you won't find the word pastor anywhere in the New Testament. Um, there's one place where you would have, like I have an older ESV, Ephesians 4 where it says that Paul that, that um, Paul says that God gave the apostles, the prophets, um, the evangelists, the, the pastors, teachers. That word pastor in the New ESV is translated as shepherd, shepherd teachers. And so here in 1 Peter 5 it says shepherd as well. So let's keep reading this. So I exhort the elders among you. Watch how these terms change. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd, so here's the verb here, shepherd, but the noun, same. Um, shepherd the flock uh, of God that is among you, exercising oversight, oversight, overseer, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So here are those three terms interchanged. Um, so that's why is you hear me sometimes saying, um, I'm one of the pastors. Sometimes you hear me say, I'm one of the elders, one of the overseers. Those are all synonymous terms in the New Testament. And so 1 Timothy, let's go back to it. So the, this first office is this office of overseer. Verse 2 begins to describe what this person must be like. 
Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Above reproach does not mean perfect. Uh, above reproach means someone who has, uh, uh, is repentive. Um, he, he, he does his best to um, live his life in front of others. He's not hiding things from anyone. Um, he's a man of character, of integrity. That's what above reproach means. Um, means like if you're like looking for ways to find him guilty, you'd have a difficult time even finding some way uh, of, of calling him guilty. He's the husband of one wife. Now this is a really tricky phrase. It literally says in the Greek, um, a one-woman man. And so this is a man who's all about one woman. And so um, many commentaries... Conservative commentaries will disagree on how you interpret this. So let me give you three of how it's commonly interpreted. One is polygamy. That Paul's writing to a group where polygamy was fine. You can marry more than one lady. So an overseer needs to be someone who's just married to one woman. Or it could mean um, uh, that he is, uh, he's not divorced. Okay. Um, and, and so that's a, a, a second way that you could understand this. Um, and then the husband of one wife, um, meaning that he's single, that he's never married. And so um, there's some denominations, uh, Catholics believe that, that, that you know, the priest remains single. So this is, this is where this would come from, um, that, that he would just be, this one wife would be just God. He's married, there's this relationship, and so... Um, that there's, there's, there's no distractions in a sense. Um, the polygamy argument is the Greek, it fits that the best, but logically you wouldn't think like all these qualifications that we're going to read, um, they're all but one, um, the same things that everybody would, qualifications like for any follower of Christ would have. Um, other than one, and we'll get to it. Um, and so it doesn't seem like polygamy would fit, even though the Greek, that's, it fits the best. But logically, it, it seems like that's not it. So most conservative commentaries would say that, okay, well, therefore, it needs to be someone who's never been divorced. But then the argument would be, well, that's really not what the Greek is saying here. Um, so I'll table this, and we'll come back to it in a minute. Uh, so, if you keep reading through verse 2, um, you see some more qualifications of an overseer. It must be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. So, there's the one that's, that's different than just what every Christian, I think, is called to be. All of these... These are all things that we all should be striving for, and we can make an argument, maybe not able to teach would be one. All these other things are very subjective. This is the only one that's measurable, able to teach. And so, um, he's able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So, wrapped up in this, we're going to see a responsibility. So, um, all these qualifications, I think there's probably four responsibilities for an overseer from this passage. 
We saw the first one was overseeing, okay? The second one is teaching, that, a, that an elder should be one who, who teaches. And it doesn't mean just from up here. This is, this is a part of teaching. But an elder should be able to, to um, articulate um, different points of theology. Uh, he should be someone who, who loves to study the Word of God, memorizes, meditates on the Word of God. It should just be who he is. He just loves Scripture. Um, and so he should not only just know the theologies, so if you have a question, you can come to us and ask us. We should be able to articulate that back to you. Um, and those are important, but not only just theology, he should also know, know things about like family, like how to help your family just practically live out uh, God's truth. Um, so that's all wrapped up in this able to teach concept. And then you see you know, these, just these standards, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Um, verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church. And so I think here's the third responsibility. An elder should care for the church. So an elder oversees, an elder teaches, an elder cares for. Um, this, is, this is why like, it's so important that you have a structure set up. As a church gets larger, it's harder to care for individuals. Even now, like, if you send me a text, call me, it's really hard for me to, to get to everybody and set up meetings. Sometimes it might be a week or two before we actually meet face-to-face. Um, that's where, like, this other office is really helpful, deacons or your community groups we have set up. So there's other ways that, you know, by us establishing community groups, it's also, also giving you care. And so a pastor should be providing care. I think this is probably where the divorce argument comes in for me more likely than it does in verse 2 um, about the husband of one wife. Um, and so here's, here's the idea is that, um, that here in verse 4 and 5, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Titus is another letter written to another pastor of an of a early church. And, and Titus, actually, Paul's instructions to Titus says that how your children, if your children don't submit, if your children don't even, you know, if they don't want anything of the Lord, in that letter it actually says that it could disqualify an elder from being an elder by watching their children. And that uh, frightens me. Because uh, that, that, involved, that involves someone else, not just me, that my children are now involved. And, and I think this is why, and I've never seen this in this church, and I don't expect I would ever see it, but I have seen it in other churches, where in other churches, um, there'll be this higher standard, not, not just for the pastor, but for the pastor's children. And so you'll hear phrases like, well, you shouldn't do that, you're the pastor's son. I've never heard that, and I, I, I hope I never hear that kind of language, because my children never asked to be pastor's children, right? They just came into this world by the, just by the luck of the draw for them. Their dad's a pastor. 
Um, and, and so I, I don't want you putting that kind of expectation on them. It's enough for me to have this hanging over my head that um, if my children don't um, seek after the Lord and, and hear if they're not submissive to my leadership, that could disqualify me. Um, that's enough for me to worry about. I don't need you worrying about um, that for my children to put that kind of pressure on them. Talk to me if you um, think my children don't match up to that, but please don't go to them. Please go to them uh, if you see them uh, disobeying, but not out of this. Go to them out of disobeying because you love them and you know that disobeying is ultimately a thing with the Lord, not about being a pastor's son, okay, or pastor's daughter. Um, go to them because that's a relationship issue with their heavenly father, not their earthly father. Um, the idea here, though, is if I can't lead my family whom I love and just, you know, they're, they're mine, how in the world am I going to lead my church family? If I don't resolve conflict at home, whom I love and, and these are my family, how in the world am I going to resolve conflict in the church? Whom I love you guys. But I, I'm just going to say my family is a little more closer to me than you guys. Fair? Um, and if I won't take care of disciplining my children and I won't resolve conflict with my wife, then, and, and then I'm not going to be able to do it here. So every divorce, I, I've, and I've done a lot of divorce counseling over the years. I've not had one divorce case to where divorce happened overnight. Their marriage is great for 20 years. Next day, it just ended. Never happened. Uh, it's always been this slow fade where way back here, something wasn't reconciled. And they just let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. And other things just compiled on that. Um, and, and so when conflict is not resolved, those broken relationships happen. Same thing in a church. If I won't deal with it at home then I'm not going to deal with it here. And so I think divorce fits more into this than it does. Excuse me, in verse 2. Um, verse 6 says, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. And so here I think the third, or excuse me, the fourth responsibility is that an overseer, an elder, models um, these qualifications. He, he models this life. One of the scariest things, and, and, and my professors in seminary warned me of this, and I've seen it, uh, it's one of the scariest things, is that um, you guys begin to act like leadership. It's so frightening. Um, I will hear, like, there's certain phrases I might use when I pray. And sometimes I'll hear, like, you guys use that same phrase. It's like parents, when you see your children, like, do the same thing. It's very similar. I remember when we first moved to Huntington, Xavier was probably about three at this time. And I was hanging up a chalkboard in his room. And I remember I had a, had a pen um, over my ear, and I was uh, 
you know, I was marking some holes to where I was going to drill. I put it back. I had my little drill out. And he had this plastic, like, uh, battery-powered drill. Um, and he had that thing out. And he had a, he had a pencil. You know, no, it was a crayon. He had a crayon behind his ear and had a drill out. And he was sitting there just watching me. And I looked over, and that was that, like, like it was cute at first. And I went, it, the spiritual part hit me. And I'm going, oh, man. Like, this little guy's watching me, and he, he's, in some ways, wants to become me. And, and you'll see that in a church. The congregation will reflect this leadership. Things that, we're, that we think are important, you'll start to find important. Things that we're loose on, you'll be loose on. Um, that's, that's a lot of weight on me. Um, I've got to become the man, the person that I'd want you to become. Uh, that's really frightening for me. Um, and so here, you're going to see a couple of things in this passage that we as a church, um, it doesn't explicitly say this, but this is us as a church trying to help the congregation discern some things. And so, one, they must not be a recent convert, and two, they must be um, respected by outsiders, well thought of by outsiders. As a church, we've agreed on a, a couple of things that help guard us in this area, um, a recent convert, so we don't want an overseer being someone who's just a new believer, just not wise. Why? Because he could become puffed up with conceit. And, uh, and so for us, an elder, you have to be a member of this church um, for at least two years before you can be an elder of this church. And you have to be at least 30. And the 30 is a number we get from the Old Testament where an elder in the Old Testament was was 30, slash priest, elder slash priest, was 30, for they were um, a priest. And so um, we just go, well, that was good for them. We're going to use that same number. Um, it's not a hill for me to die on. Um, I think there's many godly elders who are younger than 30. But for this congregation, this is just a way that we kind of guard these ideas, that he must not be a recent convert, so that gives you time to... Grow and figure out who you are as a person. Um, and then you're well respected by outsiders. So we're going to watch you for a couple years. We think two years is a good number. We can see you're, you're probably going to go through some kind of difficulty in, in a two-year span. So we're going to be able to see, like, uh, you know, how do you respond during trial? Do you get angry when you don't get your way? Well, you're probably not fit for an elder right now. You've got to grow and mature in, in your patience and kindness. Um, we don't need elders who rage and get upset when they don't get their way. Um, that quote has been met years ago, so we, we don't need any more of those elders. Um, thankfully, we've never had them here. I'm not referring to elders here, just speaking in general. Um, I know many elders that have uh, short fuses. Um, and um, In fact, I was talking with a friend this past week, who has, their church has a plurality of elders, and they had to ask one elder to step down because of, of, of anger. Um, and, and, and so it, it happens. Um, so here's this picture of what an overseer should be. It's your role as the church, as the congregation, to make sure when I'm gone, this is who is in this position. Or when we go to make a, another elder here, 
um, then they'll, they'll have to meet these qualifications. Um, if they don't, then we just don't do it. In two, so when I started going to Canova in 1998 as a college student, Canova did not do this. Canova had a senior pastor, and then the deacons were the rulers of the church. And uh, the deacons, it wasn't like, hey, what deacons fit these qualifications? It was like, hey, um, man, we really need another deacon to fit, fill this position. Does anybody want to do it? Anybody? Nobody? What about you? Come on, please. Pretty please. It's not that, it's not that hard. You'll meet once every now and then. Come on. Somebody? And that's the way it was. Uh, Joe was a part of that. Joe remembers those days. In about 2004, 2005, because of expositional preaching, we, were, we saw passages like this and we're going, what are we doing? This does not fit the Word of God. And so we began to make these changes in 2005. We started a, a plurality of elders at Canova. We started looking at qualifications. And um, there was... so. In, uh, I think, Joe, you've told me, uh, like in the 90s, there may have been 20-some deacons, 24 deacons. And then when we started looking at qualifications for deacons, you went down to about six. <laughs> and so that, that's what happens. But I'd rather have six who are qualified than 24 that aren't. Because um, in the book of Acts, you'll see six deacons who are qualified, and it took care of thousands of people. Um, and so... Office of overseer, and then in verse 8, we see the second office here. If, if, if overseers are servant leaders, then deacons are leading servants. Um, deacon literally means servant. So a lot of times in your Bible where you see the word servant, the, the Greek word is deacon. De- deacon is actually a Greek word, diakonos. And so that's, they just leave it as that's what it literally means now. It's just uh, the office, the noun of serving. So you're a server. Deacons likewise. Um, and so um, here's this list of what deacons must be. But where they started was back in Acts 6. Um, you just jot this passage down. I'm not going to read it for time's sake. Um, but in Acts 6... Um, the, you, the, the apostles, they were getting bombarded with all these problems, and, and they were like, I can't, I can't deal with all these. Like, there's not time to... I was praying. I was in the middle of praying. I was in the middle of preparing. I was reading Scripture. And these problems come in, which need to be dealt with, but now I'm distracted, so we're going to create this office called deacon. Deacons, you guys take care of, of these things so that we can focus on this. So part of the role, responsibility of deacon is to serve the church so that the overseers, elders, can do their responsibilities. And so the primary responsibilities for elders are, is to pray and, and um, study the Word of God. That's the primary thing. When I was hired, that's what the church said. Hey, make sure you guard your time. Make sure like, you spend mornings praying, reading Scripture. Like, that's what we need from you. We don't need you doing all these other... I don't need you in here painting walls and fixing this building. Don't do those things. Um, I need you praying and spending time reading Scripture, reading books, studying, knowing things so that you can be on the watch for 
for those wolves who come in. So deacons, you see in this part of, of Acts 6 that these are also certain type of men. It's not just willing men. They had to be um, men of character. So we jump back to 1 Timothy 3. It says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mysteries uh, of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Again, it doesn't say perfect. Deacons aren't to be perfect, but they are to be blameless. Blameless means repentive. And they are to be tested. And so that's why, like this coming weekend, see Blake's already giggling. Uh, we get to go on an elder deacon retreat this weekend, and part of that will be testing Blake. I spent last Sunday testing Blake, and he did such an incredible job. But just if he's going to be supporting the elders, so while we're focused, Blake may have, you may have a situation. And so I don't know if you're aware of this. We don't do a good enough job from up front here about, about letting you know this. If you are a member of this church... Um, then you have either a deacon or a deaconess assigned to you. And so those deacons will reach out to you um, and be praying for you. They'll give all of that information back to us if it's things that we need to know about, um, uh, us being the elders. But they're the ones reaching out to you, caring for you um, in, in certain ways. Um, and then they may come back to us and say, hey, I don't know how to handle this. What's your advice? Um, uh, but this, this weekend, Blake will get tested, um, and some of all of our deacons go through, all the elders go through this as well. Um, they, are, they are examined, they are tested to make sure that they understand this, the mysteries here, um, the mysteries of the faith with a clear conscience. And so be in prayer for Blake on, on Friday or Saturday, um, excited for that. And then, um, so those, those deacon and deaconesses, they'll oversee um, just some needs. If you have a need in the church, you'll contact your deacon or deaconess. Um, verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, this is really tricky. Um, verse 11 says, their wives likewise must be dignified. So this verse is also... Um, been translated many different ways, or understood many different ways. Um, so it could mean, does their wives mean, so like, does the deacon's wives now also have qualifications? Okay, so, so you have the elders, they have qualifications, you have deacons have qualifications, but now the deacon's wives also have qualifications. So their wives must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Um, I, I do think, the, again, like, like I mentioned earlier, these are characteristics we all should have as Christians, right? There's nothing on there that hopefully that you're not striving for. Hopefully none of you are going, man, I just really, just really don't want to be deacon's wife because I really love, I enjoy slandering people. And I'm never going to be able to do that. Um, um, so one way to understand this verse is that this is referring to their wives, which is what the ESV does here. The ESV, by translation, is helping you interpret this so they're taking some liberties here though that word there is not in the greek it literally just says wives um, or women um, and really the it's a tricky word because sometimes the word there is translated in other places as wives sometimes it's translated as women 
So does it mean women likewise must be dignified? And if it does, then maybe there's something else going on here in this passage. Maybe this isn't talking about a deacon's wife. Maybe it's talking about a female deacon, which is what I'm going to argue for. Um, and that's why in your bulletin you see deacons and deaconesses. Because I think the flow of this makes more sense. One, because, all right, uh, one, the there is not, is not there in, in the Greek. Um, two, it, it seems kind of strange, like, if an elder has this position to teach and has this authority in a sense, because you're not called to submit to deacons as you are to your elders. Um, there is mutual submission there, but, but elders, like, why, why, does el- why does a deacon's wife so important, but in but it doesn't mention anything here about an elder's wife. Can my wife be a slanderer? Can my wife not be, you know, sober-minded? Like, so why? So I, I'm arguing that I don't think this is talking about um, uh, the deacon's wives as much as it's talking about another office, um, that, that it's actually talking about female deacons. And I think the flow of this passage, so first you have elders, then in verse 8, if you just look at verse 8, it says deacons likewise. And then verse 11, women likewise. So I, I think here it's implying that these deacons, these um, women are deaconess, they're female deacons. And so I think that's the flow of this passage. So verse 11, they also um, must be faithful um, and then we see an example in, in Romans 16. Uh, Romans 16, I commend, you, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, deacon, a, de- uh, a deaconess of the church. And so here's this idea that there are female deacons in the New Testament. And that's why we have female deacons. They're called um, a deaconess. And I think logically this makes a lot of sense, especially in our context. Uh, we have a lot of young women who are members of this church, a lot of young single women. Um, and if you're going through a hard time, our deacons probably aren't the best ones to minister to you. Our deacons don't need to be calling you saying, hey, how can we help you? It's just not wise for you or for our deacons. So we have deaconess, so you, um, the, especially the college girls, you probably have a deaconess who reaches out to you. Um, who, who will uh, text you, call you, say, hey, how can I be praying for you? That's just wise. Um, you don't need um, one of the deacons calling you. Um, um, you think of a, of a widow, uh, a young widow. Um, doesn't need to be in that situation for where a guy is coming to her and trying to care for her well. That needs to be a deaconess. Um, now, where it's a win-win is where our deacons... And, the deacon, and, and, and their wives are also deaconess. And that happens sometimes on our, on our list. Um, and that's just where it's an, it's an easier situation. Um, so back in 1 Timothy, uh, verse 11, The wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Verse 12, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, same language from overseer, managing their children and their own households well. I'm going to just... Refer to what I said previously, um, verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So there's still this idea, if you can't manage your own household well, how would you uh, manage uh, God's house well? 
Um, verse 14, bring us back to where we started. I, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So these are the two offices that God left us with to be part of this pillar and buttress of truth. Um, it's part of how we're going to be a healthy church. We've got to make sure we always cling to biblical leadership in this church. The moment we stop is the moment we're going to start becoming an unhealthy church. We've got to hold fast, hold true to this passage in Titus 1 as well. Titus 1 is very similar to 1 Timothy 3. And here's what I love. So we are called the bride of Christ. Christ left us. Like, think about the bride. Like, for husbands, you know, like, you love your bride. You're going to care for your bride. This is the, this is the way that Christ left his bride to be cared for, is with these positions. Um, he loves her that much that he's going to make sure she's cared for. He laid down his life for the church so that she could be holy and blameless. And uh, he's called the elders and deacons for this time to, to guard this flock. He's called the elders to, to shepherd this flock, to lead. But let me just remind you, there's coming a day. First Peter 5 tells us about this. See, I, I'm, I'm a shepherd, but I'm also a sheep. So I'm like, it's, I'm an under-shepherd. First Timothy 5, look at this. And when the, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I'm not the ultimate shepherd. I'm lowercase s. But you have a capital S shepherd who loves you more than I can ever love you. He loves you enough to lay down his life for you, that he died for you. Um, and we need to be reminded of that kind of love. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to keep singing. And maybe you've never experienced that kind of love from anyone. Like you, you've, all your relationships have been just broken and damaged. I'm telling you, you've got a God who loves you. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've done, um, He loves you. Um, and He wants to... To come into that brokenness that you're experiencing, and he wants to heal that brokenness. Um, he wants you to give your life to him, surrender. And uh, if, if you want to know um, how to become a follower of Jesus, please talk to me. Um, I'll be around right after the service. Come talk to, to me or um, whoever invited you. We want to make sure that you know what it means to be a part of the church. Not, not, not attend but be a part of the church. There's a difference. That when you're a part of the church, then, 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 then you're, you understand what salvation is. Um, we w- want to make sure that everyone here knows the Lord that's saved. Um, and, and so if you want um, to be saved today, I would love to talk to you about, about how to, to know Jesus. Um, so let me, let me pray for us as we begin to sing. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the snow outside, just the beauty of it, and it just reminds us of uh, just what you do with our lives, that our lives are filthy.
but you just cover us with this white snow that all of the sin in our lives has been covered. So Lord, I pray that you would just remind us of these, um, just these pictures of salvation as we just look out into the world. You've given us many to look from. And so this morning as we leave, before the snow melts, pray that we just take some time today and just reflect on what you've done in our lives, that you've purified us, that you've taken all of our filth and you've covered it with just this white, just this pure snow, just founded in Christ, not by our good works, but through the blood of Christ that we're made clean as snow. So Lord, I just thank you for all that you're doing. Help us to be a church that's, um, that, that, that is uh, one that cares about your bride, that, um, that, that we guard and protect her well until you return as the, uh, the chief shepherd. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.